Chapter Fourteen of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty Chris. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Fourteen. I under fair pretense of friendly ends and well-placed words of glozing courtesy baited with reasons not unplausible, wind me into the easy-hearted man, and hug him into snares. Milton While Vivaldi and Elena were on the way from San Stefano, the Marchese Vivaldi was suffering the utmost vexation respecting his son, and the Marchesa felt not less apprehension that the abode of Elena might be discovered, yet this fear did not withhold her from mingling in all the gaieties of naples her assemblies were as usual among the most brilliant of that voluptuous city and she patronized as zealously as before the strains of her favorite composer notwithstanding this perpetual dissipation her thoughts frequently withdrew themselves from the scene and dwelt on gloomy forebodings of disappointed pride a circumstance which rendered her particularly susceptible to such disappointment at this time was that overtures of alliance had been lately made to the marquise by the father of a lady who was held suitable in every consideration to become his daughter and whose wealth rendered the union particularly desirable at a time when the expenses of such an establishment as was necessary to the vanity of the marchesa considerably exceeded his income large as it was the marchesa's temper has been thus irritated by the contemplation of her son's conduct in an affair which so materially affected the fortune and as she believed the honor of his family when a courier from the abyss of san stefano brought intelligent of the flight of elena with vivaldi she was in a disposition which heightened disappointment into fury and she forfeited by the transports to which she yielded the degree of pity that otherwise was due to a mother who believed her only son to have sacrificed his family and himself to an unworthy passion she believed that he was now married and irrevocably lost scarcely able to endure the agony of this conviction she sent for her ancient adviser schedoni that she might at least have the relief of expressing her emotions and of examining whether there remained a possibility of dissolving these long-dreaded nuptials the frenzy of passion however did not so far overcome her circumspection as to compel her to acquaint the marquise with the contents of the abyss's letter before she had consulted with her confessor she knew that the principles of her husband were too just upon the grand points of morality to suffer him to adopt the measures she might judge necessary and she avoided informing him of the marriage of his son until the means of counteracting it should have been suggested and accomplished however desperate such means might be scadoni was not to be found trifling circumstances increased the irritation of a mind in such a state as was hers the delay of an opportunity for unburthening her heart to Skidoni was hardly to be endured. Another and another messenger were dispatched to her confessor. "'My mistress has committed some great sin, truly,' said the servant, who had been twice to the convent within the last half-hour. "'It must lie heavy on her conscience, in good truth, since she cannot support it for one half-hour. 
Well, the rich have this comfort. However that, let them be ever so guilty, they can buy themselves innocent again in the twinkling of a ducat. Now a poor man might be a month before he recovered his innocence, and that too, not till after many a bout of hard flogging. In the evening Skidoni came, but it was only to confirm her worst fear. He, too, had heard of the escape of Elena, as well as that she was on the lake of Solano, and was married to Vivaldi. How he obtained this information he did not choose to disclose, but he mentioned so many minute circumstances in confirmation of its truth, and appeared to be so perfectly convinced of the facts he related, that the Marchesa believed them as implicitly as himself and her passion and despair transgressed all bounds of decorum. Scadoni observed, with dark and silent pleasure, the turbulent excess of her feelings, and perceived that the moment was now arrived when he might command them to his purpose, so as to render his assistance indispensable to her repose, and probably so as to accomplish the revenge he had long meditated against Vivaldi, without hazarding the favor of the Marchesa. So far was he from attempting to soothe her sufferings, that he continued to irritate her resentment, and exasperate her pride, effecting this at the same time with such imperceptible art, that he appeared only to be palliating the conduct of Avaldi, and endeavoring to console his distracted mother. This is a rash step, certainly, said the confessor, but he is young, very young, and therefore does not foresee the consequence to which it leads. He does not perceive how seriously it will affect the dignity of his house, how much it will depreciate his consequence with the court, with the nobles of his own rank, and even with the plebeians with whom he has condescended to connect himself intoxicated with the passions of youth he does not weigh the value of those blessings which wisdom and the experience of maturer age know how to estimate he neglects them only because he does not perceive their influence in society and that lightly to resign them is to degrade himself in the view of almost every mind unhappy young man he is to be pitied fully as much as blamed your excuses reverend father said the tortured marchesa prove the goodness of your heart but they illustrate also the degeneracy of his mind and detail the full extent of the effects which he has brought upon his family it affords me no consolation to know that this degradation proceeds from his head rather than his heart it is sufficient that he has incurred it, and that no possibility remains of throwing off the misfortune. Perhaps that is affirming too much, observed Scudoni. How, father, said the Marchesa. Perhaps a possibility does remain, said he. Point it out to me, good father, I do not perceive it. Nay, my lady, replied the subtle Scudoni, correcting himself. I am by no means assured that such possibility does exist. My solicitude for your tranquillity and for the honor of your house makes me so unwilling to relinquish hope that perhaps I only imagine a possibility in your favor. Let me consider. 
alas the misfortune severe as it is must be endured there remain no means of escaping from it it was cruel of you father to suggest a hope which you could not justify observed the marchesa you must excuse my ex dream solicitude then replied the confessor but how is it possible for me to see a family of your ancient estimation brought into such circumstances its honours blighted by the folly of a thoughtless boy without feeling sorrow and indignation and looking round for even some desperate means of delivering it from disgrace he paused disgrace exclaimed the marchesa father you you disgrace the word is a strong one but it is alas just and shall we submit to this is it possible we can submit to it there is no remedy said scadoni coolly good god exclaimed the marchesa that there should be no law to prevent or at least to punish such criminal marriages it is much to be lamented replied skidoni the woman who obtrudes herself upon a family to dishonour it continued the marchesa deserves a punishment nearly equal to that of a state criminal since she injures those who best support the state she ought to suffer not nearly but quite equal interrupted the confessor she deserves death he paused, and there was a moment of profound silence till he added, For death can only obviate the degradation she has occasioned. Her death alone can restore the original splendor of the line she would have sullied. He paused again, but the Marchesa still remaining silent, he added, I have often marvelled that our lawgivers should have failed to perceive the justness, nay, the necessity of such punishment. It is astonishing, said the Marchesa thoughtfully, that a regard for their own honour did not suggest it. Justice does not the less exist because her laws are neglected, observed Scadoni. A sense of what she commands lives in our breasts, and when we fail to obey that sense, it is to weakness, not to virtue, that we yield. Certainly, replied the Marchesa, that truth never yet was doubted. Pardon me, I am not so certain as to that, said the confessor. When justice happens to oppose prejudice, we are apt to believe it virtuous to disobey her. For instance, though the law of justice demands the death of this girl, yet because the law of the land forbears to enforce it, you, my daughter, even you, though possessed of a man's spirit, and has his clear perceptions would think that virtue bade her live when it was only fear ha exclaimed the marchesa in a low voice what is it that you mean you shall find i have a man's courage also i speak without disguise replied scadoni my meaning requires none the marchesa mused and remained silent i have done my duty resumed Skidoni at length. I have pointed out the only way that remains for you to escape dishonor.
if my zeal is displeasing, but I have done. No, good father, no, said the Marquesa. You mistake the cause of my emotion. New ideas, new prospects, open. They confuse, they distract me. My mind has not yet attained sufficient strength to encounter them. Some woman's weakness still lingers at my heart. Pardon my inconfiderate zeal, said Scadoni, with affected humility. I have been to blame. If yours is a weakness, it is at least an amiable one, and perhaps deserves to be encouraged rather than conquered. How, father, if it deserves encouragement, it is not a weakness but a virtue. Be it so, said Scadoni coolly. The interest I have felt on this subject has, perhaps, misled my judgment, and has made me unjust. Think no more of it, or, if you do, let it be only to pardon the zeal I have testified. It does not deserve my pardon, but thanks, replied the Marquesa. Not thanks only, but reward, good father. I hope it will some time be in my power to prove the sincerity of my words. The confessor bowed his head. I trust that the services you have rendered me shall be gratefully repaid, rewarded. I dare not hope for what benefit could possibly reward a service so vast as it may. Perhaps be in your power to confer upon my family. What recompense could be balanced against the benefit of having rescued the honor of an ancient house? Your goodness is beyond my thanks, or my desert, said Scadoni, and he was again silent. The Marchesa wished him to lead her back to the point from which she herself had deviated, and he seemed determined that she should lead him thither. She mused and hesitated. Her mind was not yet familiar with atrocious guilt, and the crime which Scadoni had suggested somewhat alarmed her. She feared to think, and still more to name it, yet so acutely susceptible was her pride, so stern her indignation, and so profound her desire of vengeance, that her mind was tossed as on a tempestuous ocean, and these terrible feelings threatened to overwhelm all the residue of humanity in her heart. Scadoni observed all its progressive movements, and, like a gaunt tiger, lurked in silence, ready to spring forward at the moment of opportunity. "'It is your advice, then, father,' resumed the Marchesa, after a long pause. "'It is your opinion that Elena—' She hesitated, desirous that Scadoni should anticipate her meaning— but he chose to spare his own delicacy rather than that of the Marchesa. "'You think, then, that this insidious girl deserves—' She paused again, but the confessor, still silent, seemed to wait with submission for what the Marchesa should deliver. "'I repeat, father, that it is your opinion this girl deserves severe punishment?' "'Undoubtedly,' replied Scadoni. Is it not also your own? That not any punishment can be too severe, continued the Marchesa, that justice equally with necessity demands her life? Is not this your opinion, too? Oh, pardon me, said Scadoni. 
I may have erred. That only was my opinion, and when I formed it, I was probably too much under the influence of zeal to be just. When the heart is warm, how is it possible the judgment can be cool? It is not then your opinion, holy father, said the Marquesa with displeasure. I do not absolutely say that, replied the confessor, but I leave it to your better judgment to decide upon its justness. As he said this, he rose to depart. The Marchesa was agitated and perplexed, and requested he would stay, but he excused himself by alleging that it was the hour when he must attend a particular mass. Well then, Holy Father, I will occupy no more of your valuable moments at present, but you know how highly I estimate your advice, and will not refuse when I shall at some future time request it. I cannot refuse to accept an honor, replied the confessor, with an air of meekness. But the subject you allude to is delicate, and therefore I must value and require your opinion upon it, rejoined the Marchesa. I would wish you to value your own, replied Scadoni. You cannot have a better director. You flatter, father. I only reply, my daughter. On the evening of tomorrow, said the Marchesa gravely, I shall be at Vespers in the church of San Nicolo. If you should happen to be there, you will probably see me when the service is over and the congregation is departed in the north cloister. We can there converse on the subject nearest my heart and without observation. Farewell. Peace be with you, daughter, and wisdom counsel your thoughts, said Scadoni. I will not fail to visit San Nicolo. He folded his hands upon his breast, bowed his head, and left the apartment with the silent footstep that indicates weariness and conscious duplicity. The Marchesa remained in her closet, shaken by ever-varying passions and ever-fluctuating opinions, meditating misery for others, and inflicting it only upon herself. End of chapter 14 of The Italian Reading by Marty Criss